This is Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. During our time here on Earth, there are many decisions we can make to try to reduce our carbon footprints, from the cars we drive to the food we eat to the clothes we wear. And when we die, there looms another choice. He said he wanted a green funeral. What's that? It's an environmentally... Uh, friendly process. It's natural. The body is placed in the ground, wrapped in a shroud, no embalming or casket. People often purchase a resting place in a designated park kind of area as a way to conserve the land. Well, that sounds nice. Six Feet Under was an HBO program that ran from 2001 until 2005. The program focused on death and a family that ran a funeral home. Green burial, mentioned in that clip, is an alternative to traditional burials, which tend to take up lots of land and use toxic chemicals. And cremations have their own environmental impacts. Mallory McDuff, professor of environmental education at Warren Wilson College in Western North Carolina, was all set to have one of those traditional burials until she started researching more environmentally conscious and often cheaper options, including green burial. Mallory joins us now on Due South. Welcome. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. All right. So we're talking about death today. We're talking about the decomposition of of human remains. And we'll just note that off the top. Uh, But this is a a really interesting uh, avenue and a final decision for many. I want you to start by telling us, please, what is green burial? Green burial is really how burial has been practiced uh, for centuries really up until the Civil War in this country. Green burial is burial without embalming, which is toxic chemicals put into the body to preserve it. No embalming, no concrete vault. And the vault is essentially a container that goes inside the ground. And lastly, green burial doesn't use any materials that couldn't be biodegradable. So no embalming, no concrete vault, and all materials that are biodegradable. So the embalming, the funeral industrial complex that we have in the United States, where did that come from? Was that born out of a specific religion or during a, a, a specific era? Embalming really started in this country in the Civil War to transport bodies you know, from the South up to the North. And you know, Abe Lincoln's body was, for most people, the first example of embalming that they'd ever seen. And for me, I grew up in, um, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, but I grew up in Alabama. And with a household, my dad knew that he didn't want embalming or a funeral that didn't rely on family and friends. So that's, as a child, I really heard him talk about the difference between burial that relied on family and friends and didn't harm the earth, and what we call conventional burial, which is burial with embalming and a vault. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, it's my understanding um, that in the in the Jewish faith, there is rarely the use of embalming fluids. And for many conservative and Orthodox Jews, they are buried the next day by sundown. Are there other traditional or cultural uh, factors that uh, kept people away perhaps for a long time from embalming and and doing some of these, I guess we'll call them short-term preservation of sort techniques? Well, the Jewish faith and also the Muslim faith um, prohibits embalming. 
And so, you know, I think when we, we hear traditional burial and conventional burial, and I think language is really important because traditional burial is burial that doesn't harm the earth. And the conventions of the modern funeral complex that you you spoke about, you know, that's what's more recent in our history. But if we really think about a return to our traditional practices, that's what green burial is. And the interesting thing is that some of these solutions for burial that are, or for disposition of the body that are more sustainable for the earth, it's not just about green burial. There's new innovative practices from human composting, Aquamation is a form of cremation that uses water and lye. There's a lot of other examples that, for me, I spent a year doing research to revise my final wishes. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was that there were more options than I'd ever imagined. So I want to walk through some of those with you. And I'm going to just say right now, if I say traditional again, feel free to just be like, "Ah, ah, conventional, conventional, Um, because that's the way I've been thinking about it. But as you point out, language is really important here. What are some of the biggest differences as we think about conventional burials and green burials from the environmental standpoint? Well, you know, for me, I think it's easy to think about impacts on the environment in terms of statistics, right? So green burial has a a much lower, lesser carbon footprint, as you pointed out. Um, But, you know, the other thing to me that became so important was not just the sustainability aspects, but also the relationship aspects. Because for me, as an example, what got me interested in this was my own parents' sudden deaths and their green burials and my engagement with my siblings in their burial from being able to be with my father's body to prepare his body for burial. That's something that was has stayed with me, even more so than the fact that we didn't, you know, there's no toxic chemicals that are in the soil. There's not a concrete box essentially buried underground. And he wasn't buried in exotic hardwoods. Those are some of the environmental impacts of conventional burial. But I think it's really important for me as a professor of environmental education, what has stayed with me and the stories that I get to tell to my children and the research that I did is really the empowerment to create meaning from someone's death because of our engagement in it. So I know what it felt like to lower my dad's body into the grave, to have shovels where friends and family put dirt and soil on his grave. Those memories are things that my daughter, who's now 24, my oldest daughter, she remembers from a, she was a child at that time, but she has not forgotten what that felt like. So to me, it's about the environmental impacts, but it's also about connecting people to the places that we love. This is a quick sidebar, and I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm going to um, because my mom had told me about that moment where you shovel the dirt uh, onto the the remains or the casket that's been lowered. And there was a friend of mine who who grew up Jewish, and he died tragically and young. He was 31 years old. Today, as we're recording, would have been his 38th birthday, and I went to his funeral, mm-hmm. and I. I vividly remember that because that for me was the first time I did it. And like I just, it was a hot September day. And I remember tears pouring down my face as I, as I dumped several shovels full of dirt onto him. If you can take me back to that moment a little bit for you with your parents and why that moment and, and maybe 
just some of the other moments that you're talking about, kind of a deeper connectivity, if you will. Sure. Well, my parents' death, actually, both my parents died when they were about my age. I'm 58. They were both killed two years apart in cycling accidents. They were in the best shape of their lives, having hiked the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and they biked everywhere, all in the name of sustainability and actually in the name of their faith. Um, I grew up as an Episcopalian with a strong connection to the land and the water where we lived in Fairhope, Alabama. So when my mom died and then two, two years later, my dad was killed in the exact same way, hit by a teenage driver while he was biking. But the as tragic as that is, the story really centered for me on a moment, only a month after my mom's death, where he gathered all of my siblings together and he read a two-page directive for a funeral for himself that relied on family and friends. So he said, I want a wooden casket. I want my bluegrass band to play by the gravesite. I want the shovels mm. by the grave. And he had researched our neighborhood cemetery didn't require vaults. And so he had known that and you know, laid that out for us. And at the time, we thought he's in the best shape of his life. There's, he's just doing this as a way to practice his grieving. Right. But when he was killed two years later, those directives gave us both momentum and just some grounding in our grief. So we knew what to do. We knew the next steps. Mallory McDuff is a professor of environmental education at Warren Wilson College in Swannanoa, North Carolina. She's here with us on Due South talking about green burials uh, and talking about the process, the experience that she went through when her parents died suddenly and tragically. Um, tell me a little bit about what you want to do. And I, I do want to get to cremation and aquamation here in a minute, but I'm going to kind of, uh, I don't know, flip the script a little bit. Um, Coming out of those experiences and what you saw and experienced with your parents, how did that influence and instruct your wishes, whether those are, are, are firm or fluid at this point? Right. Well, one of the take-homes from the one-year journey that I did researching sustainable options, and this was for a book that I wrote called Our Last Best Act. And one of the take-home lessons to me was that directives have to be fluid. I thought that you you know you wrote your final wishes and you got somebody to sign them and then you've like forgot about it. But it turns out that directives and final wishes we should revisit them. Mm -hmm. You know at least every 5 years or so. Um I had actually chosen flame cremation for my directives before I went on this journey for this research to find out about options um in my area here in western North Carolina. And I'll let you know what my what my final decision was, um, and it involves a cemetery here at Warren Wilson College. Please tell us more. Okay. Well, the interesting thing was that when I went started this research um, for this book, I was almost certain I knew the end of the story because there's a conservation burial ground here, just you know, twenty minutes or so from my house. I live on campus at Warren Wilson, where I teach. And a conservation burial ground is a burial ground where the land is conserved in perpetuity through conservation easements. This one in Western North Carolina is called Carolina Memorial Sanctuary. And there's another one in the Piedmont called Blue Stem. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. You can purchase a plot and your burial actually goes to preserve the land. Um, but another option that I was researching was here at campus 
at Warren Wilson. There's a small little cemetery, but unfortunately I discovered that the provisions in that cemetery required a vault, which is that concrete box that lines the ground. And they just hadn't had any full body burials. So I spent a year kind of advocating with the Presbyterian elders who owned the cemetery. And in the end, they ended up changing the provisions of the contract to allow green burial. And that was kind of this, this epic, you know, celebratory moment um, for me as a part of my research that really, it was really about the relationships of me being in discussion with the Presbyterian elders and them seeing that really allowing green burial only means a slight change in that you don't allow a vault Mm -hmm. to be buried underground. So uh, tell me about the vaults. Why are the vaults not environmentally sound? Well, imagine your front yard, if you have one. Um, I mean, I rent on campus, but I work to keep up my, my front yard here on campus. And imagine I've got, I'm looking out, I can see my garden from, from my window. Imagine digging up a hole in your yard and burying a concrete box. The only reason vaults came into being and are now required in some cemeteries is because people think it keeps the ground level for landscaping. Hmm. But in the case of the Warren Wilson Cemetery, I had to do a lot of just talking with the the Presbyterian elders so that I could hear their concerns. And the primary concern was about, hey, can we drive the mower over the grass? And that's not an unreasonable question. But because of my experience with my parents' graves, I knew that 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 wasn't actually a concern. Um, The ground stays level. And, you know, if it sinks a little bit, we just put a little, you know, additional um, soil on top of it. So, Mallory, we've got a few more minutes here. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the choice you moved away from, which is cremation, both uh, the environmental impact of that and, uh, you know, what else comes to mind as we think about what is, I understand, uh, a growing option, uh, at least here in North Carolina. Well, the gr- my choice had been flame cremation, which uses is emits carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. um, it burns fossil fuels. And so I was really interested in another, another option. And so the option I decided to go with was a barrel plot at the Warren Wilson Cemetery. But other options that I did explore were green barrel at conservation burial grounds. I also explored aquamation, which is cremation, but using water and lye, and that's available in North Carolina. I also looked at even body farms. Western Carolina University actually has a body farm where you can donate your body for the study of decomposition. And increasingly across the U.S., there's other, another option called human composting, which is legal in seven states. It hasn't yet come to North Carolina, but I predict that that will be in our future. It's a great option, particularly for folks in more urban areas where there may not be the green space for burials. You have two daughters. Uh, you have gone through this process with your parents, and I trust that you have communicated some, if not a lot, of uh, what you would like to happen uh, at the end of your time uh, with your daughters. How how have they received uh, your green burial uh, approach and and plans? Well, throughout this whole research process, really, I was you know the people that I had to talk to were my daughters because I'm a single mom and they are going to be the ones who are going to have to make decisions about 
my death. And I'll have the directives that I've written, which I've talked about them with, but they have to be comfortable dealing with my body. And I think for me, the take-home lesson in all these discussions with my daughters is that talking about death before it happens, that's the important thing. You know, my daughters weren't always comfortable like talking about their mom's death, right? And planning for that. That's not something that teenagers typically want to do. But because it became a regular part of our, just our daily life, I think it's going to be something they're more capable of handling when and if that time comes. We know the time will come, but when it comes. Talk to me a little bit about money here, because that is a reality in these conversations. And I am curious if green burial is something for the affluent uh, or if this is something that most anybody could potentially tap into if they if they so choose. Well, as I said, I'm a single mom. And when I wrote this book, Our Last Best Act, there were three variables that I was looking for for my final directives. And they were climate, the impact on the climate, community, how much was the community involved in terms of my community, and cost. So cost was so important to me, and it was really important to my father. And green burial is actually cheaper than conventional burial. And so that's a big selling point, um, at least in my book. Can you go next level there? And I don't know if you can, but do you have median costs or is there, you know, the average uh, conventional funeral or, yeah, go go ahead. The average conventional um, burial is $10,000 is the the number. That's that's a, a round number that depends on a lot of the services that you add up in terms of your, what funeral home you're working with. Um, and for, for example, just for Carolina Memorial Sanctuary, which is the conservation burial ground here near Asheville, 3500 is how much it costs to buy the plot, and that includes the burial. Now, one of the kind of things to remember in terms of shopping around when you're thinking about final directives is that if you get a price from one place, it's really important to do some research because the traditional wisdom is that go across the street and the price might be different. So that's those are that's research that's better done when you're alive and not you know moments after your death. Traditional funeral homes are they widening their scope at all? Are they thinking about some of these green burial options, or are they uh, they are are they thinking about other other pathways? I think the greatest growth is going to happen in partnerships between funeral homes who are looking to offer those alternatives to consumers. So one example that I've ran across in my research is the Natural Funeral. It's a funeral home in Colorado that offers green burial, aquamation, and human composting. So you can walk into their their doors and get the same services you might expect from a conventional um, funeral home, but they're the more green, green services. But we also are seeing more conventional funeral homes who offer conventional services, but are widening their scope to include more green practices. I think the consumer has to be careful because you can walk into a funeral home and see, oh, here's a $2,000 green casket, you know, and it doesn't take $2,000 to build a pine casket. So ask for what you want and ask for what you need. And that's the biggest lesson that I found in my research. Mallory McDuff is a professor of environmental education at Warren Wilson College in Western North Carolina. She has been your guest here on Due South discussing green burial. Mallory, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. 
You're listening to Do South on North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.